This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 137. Never expected to get into real estate. I didn't think that was something I could do. I didn't think that was obtainable. And then running into a Bigger Pockets podcast from a Google search and starting to get educated, started to realize that there may be an avenue for me to get in. That's kind of what got me here today. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. Ashley Kerr, what's going on? How are you doing? I asked you first. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on with me? Let me see. Did did I already talk about us surprising my son for uh, winning ASB president? You didn't tell us how it happened. You told us you were going to do it, but not how it went. Earlier this week, we found out that my son, he was running for eighth grade ASB class president. We found out that he won. So my wife and I decided to pick him up with a limo, picked him and his friends up, surprised him at school. And it was, it was like such a great time. Like all the kids come out of school were like, oh my God, there's a limo. I mean, he was, he was like initially kind of embarrassed. He was like, oh my God, like all the attention's on me. But uh, once we got in the limo and all his friends were in there, they were having a good time. So he was super appreciative. He thanked us like 20 times that day. And Lots of hugs and kisses from him. So it was it was all worth it. That is uh, such a cool, unique idea. And the best part of it, though, was Tony's wife, Sarah, put on Instagram where DJ Tony had to stop the music <laughs> because he had to take a, a real estate call. <laughs> that shows the kids just like sitting there waiting for him. And he's just talking on the phone. And then she played some cricket noise in the background. <laughs> no, it's perfect. So. Yeah, typical real estate investor. Yeah. yeah. What's going on with you, Ash? Well, I'm looking forward uh, to the weekend. It's probably the last sunny, really nice weekend here in Buffalo coming up. And uh, we're going to go wake surfing, I think, on Saturday and probably be the last uh, boating Boating day of the season. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and then you guys go hibernate for the next like three months or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, next week I'm going to Austin, Texas to the conference FinCon. So, yeah, that should be fun and hopefully nice weather there. Yeah, beautiful. What, what's going on in your business world? Ash? Do you want to say where you, you're going? <laughs> where? Oh, I'm going. Well, I'll be leaving to <laughs> Maui in uh, like three days now. So going to hang out with uh, Brandon Turner, the Maui Mastermind folks. So excited for that. So I'll have some good updates once I get back from that on, on how my business and my life has changed. Yeah, I'm so excited for you. Well, today we have Sterling on the show and I think we could have just kept talking to him forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he had what like what a cool story Sterling has. We had Jason Peterson back on episode 129 and Jason and Sterling share some similarities in that they both spent some time in the prison system. They were incarcerated, but they neither of them let that setback stop them from setting their sights on becoming a real estate investor and just like totally crushing it. So Sterling's done like 10 deals. I think they're at 10 doors in like less than two years. So he's, man, so much inspiring content coming out of today's episode for sure. Yeah. Sterling actually mentioned that he started to get into trouble in his life at the age of 15, from 15 to 28, struggled. And then he's 30 now and just completely 180 his whole life. But he breaks down the deal on his primary residence. You guys will not believe the interest rate that he is paying. I will tell you, it's more than 20% and less than 50%. So listen in as to why this is actually not a bad thing at all for him, the interest rate that he's paying on this loan. But yeah, he just gives tons of great little tips and so nonchalant, but let's get Sterling onto the show. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? 
Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. Sterling, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you start off telling everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, so I'm 30 years old. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Like a super quick backstory to that. Real estate just happened in the last year and nine months, roughly. Prior to that, it was pretty dark, like 13 years of probation from 15 to 28, prison, parole, rehab, things like that. Never expected to get into real estate. I didn't think that was something I could do. Uh, I didn't think that was obtainable. And then running into a Bigger Pockets podcast from a you know Google search and starting to get educated, started to realize that there may be an avenue for me to get in. That's kind of what got me here today. Sterling, if you don't mind, can we touch a little bit more on your background? Because I want to highlight how real estate really is an avenue that anybody can get into that you don't need a college degree, that you don't need experience, you don't need to have connections that anybody can 
get started in real estate, no matter what their background is. Absolutely. So when I very first got started, I had saved up $3,000. And so I went to the Google gods and I asked them, how do I invest this to stop being poor? Um, you know, I was kind of raised poor and just owning my own home was like a far out dream seemed pretty unattainable at the position I was in. Ultimately, like I mentioned, I started to get educated, started just consuming audiobooks, podcasts, any educational material I could get a hold of. And because of my record and because of my lifestyle prior to that, I had picked up skills along the way. I was a felon, so it's kind of hard to find work. Uh, I would do a lot of Craigslist jobs. I started to learn drywall and framing and doing, you know, helping people with rehabs. And I started to pick up my own tools. So at that point, at the Around Christmas 2019, I had some of my own tools. I was just working as a handyman. And then when I started to do transition to actually looking for properties, like technically I went through a trailer park phase first. That's, that's all the money I thought I had. So it wasn't as cool as buying a whole trailer park or a mobile home park. It was specifically an episode I had heard about a guy getting a mobile home inside of a, a mobile home park, fixing it up, and then like seller financing it. So that, to me, I felt like that was something I could I could accomplish. So that got me excited. So I think it took me three days to go through every mobile home park in the area to look for any of them that were beat up or empty or anything like that. Then it's kind of funny the way I really... Did you drive around? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did you drive around to all of these? Yeah, you put in the hardware. Oh, yeah, like 10 <laughs> hours a day. I mean, I still have the sheets and sheets of, you know... But that kind of broke me into using the county site to look up properties, look up back taxes, see when the last time it was sold and things like that. So I don't I don't regret any of it. I don't think that was a waste of time. But the conclusion I drew to that was when I actually found a couple that I could obtain, then it became I had to go get permission from the park. My background kept me from getting in there in some cases. And it's my criminal background is drug trafficking. People don't really care for that. So were the mobile home park owners, the landlords doing background checks and credit checks on the people that were buying the mobile homes? Yeah. For me to even own it without even living there, I still would have had to pass that background check. And that was something I couldn't do. So I related owning a, a mobile home to basically like being on probation. Like the uh, mobile home park would be my probation officer. And so those feelings just instantly, I was, I was kind of over mobile homes and had to find another route. So being in Dayton, Ohio, there is a lot of affordable housing. There's still tons of vacant properties in downtown Dayton, the east side, west side, the surrounding areas. So I started to shift towards that. And, you know, some of these houses sell for 5,000, 20,000. They need work. But that was where I saw my opportunity to add value to the situation. I could do a lot of things as far as fixing it up, getting it livable, and I would cut costs to get me to an after repair value and get me some equity. Sterling, I want to talk just a little bit, just set the table for the listeners about you know your, your current portfolio today. So how many properties do you have or how many deals have you done? So I've done four deals. Rental property wise, we have 10 doors, two four units and a duplex. And then uh, I managed to buy my own home as well. So I have my own home without a mortgage. Wow, that is fantastic, man. And, and all of this within the last like less than two years, you said? Yeah, yeah. That is fantastic. Congratulations to you, Sterling, because I think that's a, a huge accomplishment for anyone, but even more so given the, I think, complexities that came with your background. So one one question for me, Sterling, is if you look back to your social circle, you know, from the time that you spent incarcerated 
and the folks that have also gotten out, you know, around the same time as you, maybe even before you, how many of them are doing what you're doing today? None that, that I can say for sure. Like the odds on these things aren't very good. So like to quit using drugs and stay not using the odds are, are not necessarily in my favor to get out of prison and not go back. The recidivism rate is like four out of five within the first five years. So there's not a lot of people that I had to look up to with my exact experience. There's not still not a lot of relatable people. There is a few that I don't want anybody to feel like it's impossible. But like you just mentioned, there's, or like you brought up the people I had to look up to, I, I had to go and create new relationships ultimately. And that's the point that I wanted to really drill down on was the creation of those new relationships. So before we get to how you built those new relationships, because I don't think everyone's situation will be as maybe extreme is not the right word, but obviously everyone's not going to be coming from a background of being incarcerated. But I think a lot of people that are listening have a current social circle that's either not supportive or doesn't understand real estate investing, and they let that social circle hold them back. So I guess the first question for you, Sterling, is did you have any doubt in yourself about whether or not you can make this happen, given your background? Like, did you have any self-doubt to say, I'm not seeing anyone else who's coming out of the prison system doing what I'm trying to do, so it must be impossible. And if you did feel that doubt, how did you push past that? So I don't want to say, you know, just I immediately let it go. So having like literally audiobooks and podcasts, those were my relationships for a really long time. Those are my mentors. Those are the people I looked up to. Like, I'm pretty sure I hear Brandon Turner's voice in my head when I think about real estate. It's just, <laughs> it's narrated by his voice. So those were the initial people that I listened to, drew strength from, things like that. Another part to that that I do want to touch on is at the end of last year, so the end of 2020, I had done a lot. <laughs> Let's just say that. So, you know, I actually let myself breathe. I think it was like, that's the best way to word it. I think it was January 7th, where I finally like in the kitchen here, like kind of broke down a little bit because I had been pushing so hard running from where I came from that I hadn't let myself feel any achievement because it didn't feel real. It doesn't feel from what I thought I deserved to what we were able to create. There was a really big disconnect there. I never thought I'd even be a homeowner, honestly, and things like that. So there was this kind of running from that poverty, running from that scarcity. How important do you think it is for anybody to celebrate their wins, to take that time and to breathe and to think about it and to celebrate what they have accomplished before even moving on to the next thing they're going to accomplish? Personally, I think it's really important. So for me and my family, there's little things we'll do to celebrate. It's not massive, anything like that, but we will go out to eat or we will splurge a little bit here or there. We've taken a vacation, things like that to kind of celebrate and like reward ourselves for, because a lot of work goes into it. And that system of like, so sorry to kind of go backwards here, but I used to struggle. Like we, my family used to struggle. It, we struggled without like a reason. We just lived in struggle and struggle sucks. Now, we struggle from time to time, but it's for a purpose. And then when you when we reward ourselves for that after we've achieved it, especially if there's big hurdles and hurdles we didn't see coming, that's like a routine building or helps build those positive habits. That's how I look at it. That is such a good point, is that even there's two different kinds of struggle, like your past, how you struggled, but how you may go through times of struggling now, but that's because there's that end reward and you know that it, there's something coming at the end that you're struggling for the benefit 
such as buying a new property or something like that, where you maybe you're saving all your cash for a down payment and it is a struggle not going out to dinner or not being able to buy things or telling your kids no because you're saving for the future. There are those two different kinds of struggles. And I think that's so important that you bring that up because especially with social media, people get caught up and everybody winning, winning, winning. Well, there's a lot of people that are struggling to get to those wins and you can't, you have to remember that for yourself or when you are struggling yourself, that it's for the end goal, that end destination, but you have to enjoy the journey too while you're going. So even though the struggle may be hard, like enjoy the journey as you're getting there to that next deal, that next property, that next closing, the next flip or whatever it is. So I'm really glad you brought that up, Sterling. Thank you. Before we move on, I just want to ask one thing about the social circle piece, right? You said that you you didn't have a lot of people in your social circle that were successfully investing in real estate. You started with the podcast, you started with the, the audio books, you started with like just the educational component to kind of feed yourself the right information. But what about like in real life? Did you do anything like in the real world to start building some relationships with other people that could be potential partners or mentors or kind of guide you along the path? Yeah, absolutely. So initially I didn't really recognize these people because I wasn't looking for them. So if you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it. But I had two, my last two bosses, actually, the guys that I'd worked for, one was a commercial real estate attorney. Never clicked in my head that that might be an awesome guy to learn from. I did, you know, he was a good person and I looked up to him in that way for the way he was with his family and other things. And then the other guy, my most recent employer, he flew planes for the army. He had some rental properties. I would work on his rental properties, but it, it's still at that point, it was something that I didn't really think I would ever achieve. It was just, this is what I do. I work on other people's stuff. And then once those ideas started to take root in my mind, that's when I kept those relationships going. We, you know, I'd never burned those bridges or anything. But then I realized like, you know, I need to be hanging out with these guys more. These guys are doing what I want to do. These guys have the skills I need. These guys are probably great people to work with. You know, I've already worked for them. I know how we interact. So like those existing relationships that I had, those were kind of the first ones that they were the easiest to kind of dive into. And then besides that, local Dayton Real Estate Investors Network and Bigger Pockets, anybody like this is my passion. So I could, I could literally talk to anybody about real estate all day. Sterling, do you remember that exact moment where you had that mindset shift? Like what changed you from being the employee, working on other people's stuff to being the person I want to own this stuff? Yeah, it literally was the first episode of Bigger Pockets I listened to. And like, I, I remember where <laughs> I was and everything is nuts. December 24th, like Christmas Eve, I'm messing with Christmas decorations in the basement. I had it playing. And then that, you know, listening to that episode and all the quotes get brought up and books get mentioned and from there, it was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then reading Cash Flow and Richest Man in Babylon. And for the longest time, like, I thought I was broke. I thought I was broken. Not broke. I'm, I'm still broke, but, like, broken. <laughs> and so, and it, it didn't dawn on me. I mean, shoot, it wasn't until this year that it dawned on me. It's like, I don't think I was necessarily broken that my whole life. Like, I was a crappy employee. Always been a crappy employee. That's because I'm not an employee. That just never was who I am. And... Didn't know there was another option. It's like, oh, I just suck at being an employee. This is how life is. So Tony and I actually just did a whole rookie reply episode on like being an employee versus an entrepreneur and how it took. Tony always knew it. And he took being a W-2 to fast track him to being an entrepreneur. 
where me, I just hated life being an employee. And it took me a while to actually realize just like you, that it was, I needed that shift. Like I was meant to be an entrepreneur and not to be a W2 employee. What would be your advice for somebody who maybe has just realized this now that they are not made to be an employee and that they need to be an entrepreneur? What's like some of the first steps they can take to get to that entrepreneur, build that business, get out of their W-2? What are some action items you could give our listeners to take? So for me, from my experience, I wouldn't probably recommend this, but like for me, it was an easy jump because didn't really have much going on at the job I had. I still had side jobs that I could do for income. So I just turned it off. Like, nope, no longer an employee. I'm going to make this work. And if I don't, my life can't get any more difficult than it already is. Like that bottom is always there waiting. If I have to get this job, work 40 hours a week, I know I'll be able to rent here and you know we'll survive. So I was so close to that already. It, it was only like up, basically. The, the risk was very low of <laughs> of it getting worse. But the thing that I wanted to bring up would be there is a time and place to be an employee. Even still today, I will gladly go, maybe not, you know, a full W-2 job, but I will take work that doesn't necessarily pay great just because, you know, I'm either building a relationship, I'm learning a skill, I'm working for somebody who's an excellent entrepreneur and just being around them is going to rub off on me. So I think there is still a time and a place for that employee not necessarily employee mindset, but for that employee position when it can benefit you in so many other ways. And if you can integrate those things, that's the, that's the key. That's like one of the lessons in rich dad, poor dad, right? Is the rich don't work for money. And if you think about that story that Robert Kiyosaki told about his rich dad, the rich dad made him and his best friend work in the shop for free, right? So they could learn the lessons, but not necessarily tie that work to actually getting paid because it's like, okay, if you build that habit of only going to work to get paid, then you're going to be an employee for the rest of your, of your life. But if you can use the work that you do as an avenue to gain knowledge, to gain skills, to build relationships, then that's the way that you kind of unlock the freedom that comes along with being an entrepreneur. So man, Sterling, what a valuable lesson. And it seems like it's it's worked out well for you so far, right? Yeah, absolutely. The most recent position I've got, my long-term goals are commercial real estate, whether that's multifamily or triple net lease, actual businesses running out the land or the, the buildings. I got a contract with a business park locally and I do their, I do some maintenance for them, some new, like some tear out, rebuild, change the structure for the new tenants coming in. But the guy I get to work with, part of the agreement is he gets to, is he teaches me how those triple net leases work, how these things get built back to tenants, how the costs of snow removal landscaping, all the different things get put back into the leases and how they're divided and the way that square foot and common areas and all these things are worked back into the lease and build back. So they don't want me to go up there and change a light bulb. I'm there. They get to learn something. They get exposure to the people that run these places that they work with, how to coordinate these things. And it technically pays probably the most I've ever made. So I'll take it. Sterling, that is awesome. And that's kind of how I learned was I worked for an, an investor as a property manager, leasing agent. I did some maintenance. I did everything and I was paid and I got to learn how to run an apartment complex and build a property management company. So that's awesome. You mentioned a triple net lease. Can you just explain to everybody what that is in case anybody doesn't know? Yeah. To the best of my ability, I'm still learning. So 
the term triple net lease, there's different levels to it. So there's a basic, the tenant pays X amount per square foot, things like, you know, depending on what the lease has worked out, if something breaks, the tenant pays to fix it. There's like, you can take that all the way up to like a true triple net lease where a Walmart comes in. They take over, they pay property taxes, they pay to fix the driveway outside, snow removal, everything. You you just rent to them, that's it. They pay for everything. And that's yeah. high level, yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I'd add to that is insurance too, that they cover the insurance too. Uh, the investor that I worked for, he did a couple triple net leases and it was all the repairs and maintenance inside of the building, the insurance, the property taxes, and then the owner was required to maintain the exterior of the property and the parking lot. So yeah, there's many different levels, but basically you're adjusting the rent and then having them include a, a bunch of expenses into their lease that they're responsible for. So if you take two properties, one that has a triple net lease and one that doesn't, the triple net lease, they're probably paying a lower rent than the person that doesn't have a triple net lease and doesn't pay into the property taxes, doesn't pay into the insurance. So some advantage of that is that you have the triple net lease. If property taxes are rising, insurance is rising, those built-in increase, those are increases are already built into the lease agreement. So you don't have to estimate, oh, okay, like in two years, we'll raise the rent to this, thinking maybe property taxes go up this much or something like that. I don't know if we've really talked about triple net leases that much on the podcast. Yeah, we haven't really. We might need to get like a commercial expert on here to kind of talk through that. Sterling, we're going to have to have you come back. (laughs) Give me a few more months. A few more months. (laughs) Before you came on, Tony, Sterling was talking a little bit. Was this the commercial deal you were talking about? Uh, Yeah, this is the place I had mentioned. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, maybe in a couple uh, months, we'll have Sterling back on to talk about this commercial deal. Sterling, one thing I'm curious about is how are you financing the deals that you've done? Yeah, so technically I haven't been able to afford any of the places that I have ownership in. So with the investment properties. I think that's a lot of us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then just real quick as well, because I've been self-employed and then also haven't made much money, there's a really big hurdle, at least going in to get bank financing. So, you know, I've got a house with a bunch of equity trapped in it. It sounds really cool to say I don't have a mortgage, but I could be using that money so effectively. So, well, you know, whatever it happens. How do you not have a mortgage? How did you uh, purchase your house without a mortgage? So it's just a private loan that I got and it like 25% oh, interest, cool. but at a fixed rate, like fix, yeah, whatever, three year payback. 25% interest? Yeah. Uh, my dad's ruthless. So it, that's whatever. It's like a loan shark. <laughs> okay, let's let's. I want to dive into this loan shark, your dad. Okay, first of all, this got you into a property. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I have no complaints. And it's the numbers are still working out for you. Like you can afford these payments. You've built some equity into the property. You've added value. Because I think people are going to get so hung up. I mean, even my first reaction was twenty five percent. Oh my gosh, but. If the numbers still work and the, your end game of this property works with that 25% and that's better than you renting somewhere and that's how you got into this property, then who cares about the 25%? Yeah, there was zero hesitation. We can just go into it real quick if that's cool with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the house that we moved into, the house that we bought, the purchase price is $20,000. There's a little bit of backstory to that. She was about to lose it to a, a basically a tax foreclosure. 
people I'd known of this house for a while and she didn't want to sell it. She didn't want to lose her stuff. Well, she was about to lose her stuff. So the way that I solved that problem was agreeing to put her stuff in storage for a year until she could get to it. So that was the little problem I solved that got me in where nobody else could get in. By listening. If we can pause on that just for a second, because I, I don't want to gloss over that, yeah. that important piece, Sterling. You found, let me take a step back. In today's market, right? Everything's going like selling like hotcakes, right? There's so much competition in every market, but there are still sellers who are in distressed positions. And if you can go in and solve a problem for them, then you have an opportunity to get that property at a discount. To you, the idea of putting someone's stuff in storage for a year is a very simple fix, right? To you, it's not that big of a deal. But to the other person, to the person who owned that property, it was a huge problem for them, a problem big enough that they were willing to give you a discount on the property if you helped them solve it. So if you have an opportunity, and I'm talking to the listeners now, if you have an opportunity to talk face-to-face with a seller about a property, the more information you can gather about their situation, about their potential obstacles, the better position you're in to create a win-win situation. I can't remember who, who came up with this. I think I heard it like an old marketing podcast. But whenever you're talking directly to a seller, you want to be what's called a PIG, P-I-G. You want to be a PIG. And PIG stands for Professional Information Getter professional information getter. And the better you can be at that, the better job you can do of creating a win-win situation. And Sterling, it sounds like you got a a heck of a deal by being able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the total cost for storage for a year, 1600 bucks, that's fine. And it goes back into, you know, these costs that most times I would have been like, you know, I don't want to pay this. I don't want to pay 25% interest. We'll go through the numbers real quick. So I bought it for 25,000. At this point, I'd saved up a couple bucks and started getting my credit together and started getting some credit limits. So I like spent everything I had, maxed out all my credit cards to get this house fixed up. Once this house was under contract and we had made through a couple bumps that you know now I know we're going to close, my lease on the house I was renting was expiring. And so I let it expire. So I, yeah, I don't, don't want to get too far into this, but so, you know, I made plenty of mistakes, I'm sure. But Anyways, uh, I put 30,000 into it. Like to date, I'm about 30,000 into it. And that I get to save a lot, not time, but money because I did a ton of work myself. Some 20 hour days, some 22 hour days, you know, because of that time crunch, because I let my lease expire and I have a family that needs a house. So that happens. So the ARV, when I bought the house and this, you know, COVID factor, COVID appreciation factors in a little bit to it. And that's my term for it. But that timeline of how things have gone up uh, in value. The initial ARV that I was anticipating was $115,000. So already right there, being 20,000 purchase price, 5,000 in interest, and 30,000 into it, it's 55, 115 ARV, that's a $60,000 gain. And I was able to do this in a little over two months. So that was that's like a crazy awesome win, factor in the appreciation that current market value was 155,000. And that's a ridiculous jump, but you know that puts it like almost to a hundred thousand dollars in equity created. So I, then, just looking forward, I still can't get the mortgage or the bank loan at the moment to pull that money back out. There's a worst case scenario, which isn't that bad. Is June of this coming year, I'll be able to sell the house and take that money, not as a long or short term capital gains, but as my primary residence, I can pull that money out without having to pay those, you know, high tax rates and put that into another property or an investment property or however. 
So that would be uh, two years. That June 2022 would be two years you were in that property to take the gain as tax-free. Yep, as my primary. So, yeah. 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 That's so awesome. Congratulations. $100,000 in equity built into this yeah. property. It makes That's the interest great. rate not sound so bad. So. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's like the whole point. I'm glad you dove into the numbers because if you still would be renting at your other place because you didn't want to pay 25% interest, you wouldn't have that. And you'd be throwing your money away at rent every month where you built in $100,000 in equity that hopefully you can use in the future. Or even if you sell it, you can take it and use it. That's really awesome. The payment's only $50 more than my rent was. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today.
Okay, so what's another deal? How have you uh, financed your other deals? Okay, so all the other deals, I have a actual business partner. We have an operating agreement now and all those official things. So my business partner, he uses money from a self-directed Roth IRA. So he got that set up by a company. He's the manager of the company that manages his money. And then me and him work together. He can't actually touch the properties in the sense of fixing it up, doing anything to them. So that's where I come in, but he can manage the money basically. So that's how me and him work together. Yeah. Let's just break that down real quick. So a self-directed IRA, it's uh, like a traditional IRA that you can take and you go to a company that sets it up for you. There's a a ton of them out there. I think on biggerpockets.com, they actually have uh, some that are recommended on there, but you can go and you basically give them your IRA and the money in it and they turn into a self-directed IRA. So instead of investing into the stock market, you can use it to purchase real estate. And like Sterling mentioned, like if it's your IRA, you can't actually touch the property or do the renovations or anything like that. That's why it works out that you guys are partners. What does your operating agreement look like? What's the the structure you guys have put together? The company that me and him have together is a multi-member LLC. One of the first things I did, probably did it wrong, but the first things I did getting educated and like, you know, listening to, you know, whatever, all the audio books, real estate books was I went and made a sole proprietorship. So I'd, I went and made an LLC and it just was something to do more at that time uh, than, than any like real purpose. So my LLC and then he manages his uh, self-directed IRA through an LLC as well. So our two LLCs own a multi-member LLC. And then we had an attorney draft the 28 page operating agreement and that spells out both of our responsibilities, our limits on what we can do, who's the managing member, who's, you know, who's in charge of what. And that's, that's an official document that if God forbid something happens and me and him ever fall out, you know, we have that operating agreement to go back on who owns what, who is responsible for what. And that was something we felt that was really important just to have done correctly. The operating agreement, I think is an important like document to have whenever you're getting into business with someone else. I think the one thing that I'll add on to that, Sterling, is that the operating agreement is also something that can change over time, right? Like we've got our operating agreement for like our LLC, but then we've also got like joint venture agreements for every property that we purchase with someone else. And that joint venture agreement has morphed and changed after almost every single deal. Like every time we close on something, we realize, okay, oh shoot, we should have included that as well. Or, oh man, this didn't really make sense last time. So let's make sure we do it this way the next time. So for those of you that are listening, don't feel like you necessarily have to get it right the very first time that you sit down to do it. Like you can always make amendments or changes to any agreement as long as both parties agree to it. One, and this is kind of like a tactical, very detailed question, but one that I know comes up a lot. Sterling, how did you find that attorney and what kind of attorney did you use? Did you go to like a criminal defense attorney? Did you go to like a real estate syndication attorney? Did you go to like a family court service attorney? Like who did you go to and how did you find that person? So the real estate agent that we bought that for um, our first investment property from the attorney that settled the guy who had deceased, that was his, you know, his property. The attorney that settled that is who he went to to ask. It just so happened he used to, I'm going to get it wrong, but let's just say he used to work for the city as, you know, in real estate. Maybe he worked in probate or something like that. Like he's had law jobs in real estate for his whole career. And so he, while he does do other things, I don't believe he does criminal or anything like that, but you know, he just whipped up the 
28 page agreement. Like it was nothing. (laughs) So we felt we had the right guy. And to your point, we have to update our stuff at the end of this year. Ownership percentage has changed. Uh, Some of me and his terms changed of how we, how we do business now. And it's just something you just make an amendment to it. And yeah. Keep it rolling. Awesome, man. Yeah, because I, I think some people get confused when they hear attorney. There's like so many different types of attorneys you can go to. Like if someone only does family court services, like like family law, like if their focus is divorces and like custody, maybe don't go to them to help draft the operating agreement for your real estate business, right? You want someone with a little bit of, of specialty, right? That's, that's almost like going to a, like a foot surgeon if you're having heart issues, you know, like you want to go to the person that's got like the right focus there. All right. So enough with the weird analogies. Come on, here. David Green with I these know. analogies. <laughs> 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 Enough with my weird analogies. Let's uh let's talk about how you actually found this partner, Sterling, because I think, you know, Ashley and I talk a lot about the partner or about the power of partnerships. And, you know, her and I both leverage partnerships in our own businesses. So I think like the golden goose for a new real estate investor is finding that partner that's got a ton of capital that's willing to give it to you as this rookie investor. So Sterling, how the heck did you get so fortunate to find a partner like this? I want to say sheer luck, but there was a little bit of intention to it. I had found a deal. I had a, you know, a former boss that I wanted to work with. We talked about it. You know, we planned on working together because of his job. He got called out of the country. His wife didn't want to handle it. And I totally agree. You know, that's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff to take on, especially when, if, if it's not your wheelhouse. So one of the things that you hear on bigger pockets quite frequently is let people know what you're doing. If people don't know what you're doing, they can't do anything good or bad to help you. So this guy, the house I was renting, this guy had purchased the house next door, you know, years prior, he had been slowly fixing it up for his kids to live there while they went to college. And me and him had always just talked in passing and never about much. Well, after the guy that I intended on doing my first property with, after he got called away, I had already mentioned that property to my neighbor or to the guy that owned the house next to me that was fixing it up. My potential future partner gets called away. Well, I told that to the guy, you know, like, hey, Matt has to go out of the country. Now I, now I need to find somebody that can do this with me. This is what we were going to do. I was going to fix it up. He was going to pay for it. We'd split whatever the equity gain was. And he's like, he just came out of nowhere like well let me ask my wife if she's if she's down you know if she's game and i was shocked just like stone cold shocked i'm like oh okay cool so like of course it takes like a week to find you know to hear back from him finally we don't even have each other's phone numbers and um i like see him a week later and he just hollers over the fence like yeah she said she's down you're you know let's do this we didn't even know how much the place costed yet i just like we didn't have a final price on it anything so from there that is just well, I was super lucky in that sense, and then super lucky that it turns out he's a super fair, easy to deal with professional partner. But that luck was kind of created by intentionally letting people know what I was doing. So that last sentence, Sterling, is exactly what I was about to point out: is that that luck was intentionally created by the actions that you took. Had you not a already been hustling to try and find the deal, right? That was the very first step. You had to hustle hard enough to find this good deal. B 
you had to be confident enough and, you know, I guess just like social enough to talk to this random guy who owned this house next to you that you only saw every once in a while about the goings on in your real estate business. And then B, you had to kind of have the courage, not even necessarily to tell him, you know, hey, do you want a partner? But at least to express the the situation that you you found yourself in. And it was all those things kind of coming together that allowed you to find this partner. And I think what a lot of rookies don't believe yet is that there are so many people in your circle currently that have a desire to invest in real estate, but have never told you about it. Like I guarantee that for everybody that's listening, there's probably five people in their life that have always wanted to invest in real estate, but have never verbally said it out loud. So if Sterling is the one that's on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, at the cookouts, at the wherever, you know, at the grocery store, talking about real estate all the time, eventually you're going to bump into one of those people that have had that thought in the back of their mind that they want to get started in real estate investing, but they don't have the time, the desire, the knowledge, whatever, but they have the money, right? And then you guys can be the perfect partnership. So man, Sterling, I absolutely love, love, love that example, man. Me too, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) all right so i guess one last question on the on the partnership side sterling what advice do you have for someone that's looking to get into real estate investing leveraging the power of partnerships like is there anything that you feel that you would have done differently going into this or lessons that you've learned so far now that you guys have done a few deals together i mean for us it worked out great like i mentioned he's i did my best to like do this with the best of my ability, be transparent with the money make sure I didn't screw anything up, make sure that I did everything right. For me personally, it was because I have a criminal background. If I go and screw up a business relationship, I don't, I won't have much uh, in my corner after that. But I mean, we did the first three, four months working together, basically on a handshake. There was no operating agreement yet. We just had a few talking points. I think he might've Googled a promissory note at some point because he was sending me the the money to buy the materials to fix things up. I think the best advice besides any emotional intelligence or relationship factors would be finding that deal. The partnership would have never happened if I didn't find something that was worth pursuing on for me and for him. And everything else I've found deal-wise, there seems to be somebody ready to go if it's a good enough deal. Sterling, I want to take us to our rookie deal review. And I was wondering if you could tell us about your self-storage facility. Yeah. So I don't technically have ownership of that. I was still an employee at this time, but I'd I'd be happy to. Yeah. Let's talk about it though. Yeah. Yeah. Let's break that down because I that experience is still, uh, I think, has probably given you kind of a leg up that you feel confident you could do this on your own. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely down the road maybe yeah. realize that okay so. yeah and even you don't have to break down the numbers or anything like that if you but if you just want to tell us how it was approached and how you did it because you knocked down a, a building uh just everything on the inside and some offices so <laughs> yeah okay yeah go ahead tell <laughs> us that story we just knocked down everything on the inside a couple offices <laughs> uh yeah so that was the last guy i'd worked for and the guy that i just mentioned partnering with so he had bought an old CNC shop or plumbing shop or something. And his intention was to turn it into self-storage. I had been working for him for maybe nine months, almost a year. I was the only guy that worked for him. So I I think he knew I was going to do it. I just didn't know he was going to have me do it yet. So he got me, he brought me in, you know, this is the building I bought, it's the warehouse I bought, whatever. 
I want to turn this into self-storage. And the way my mind works is like, if you give me a problem, I have to, my brain has to come up with at least plausible solutions or potentials or ideas, whatever. I think he knew that too. So he just kind of let me loose in there. He's like, yeah, we need to turn this into, you know, he started doing market research. What's, uh, what's available locally? Is it five by fives, five by tens, 10 by twenties? What's the market, you know, and, and actually letting me kind of do those things with us. How many cars are driving down the street? How many, you know, what's all these little data points that come in with self-storage and he had done a ton of research into it, but I actually got to design the place. So I actually got to come up with how we're building the units, how many units there's going to be, the width of the aisles, the lighting, like every aspect of it. We had to have an architect come out and create plans and, you know, official things to present to the city. I just want to brag real quick. The architect was three feet off. My measurements were exact. <laughs> I don't get to say that often. So. <laughs> but yeah, so it took me, I think about three months from start to finish. I literally did 95% of it by myself. I was there 14, 16 hours a day. He kind of baited me into if I got it done by Christmas or the end of the year, I think I got a bonus. So I, you know, I got it knocked out really quick, but building somebody else's like, you know, I didn't buy the place. So I didn't bring that to the table, but designing it, coming up with everything except for like pricing, basically, I created that place and that felt good and bad, I guess, like knowing you can do that, but not having the resources to do it. And that is kind of one of those early, early things that started to maybe get my mind pointed in the right direction and get me to understand that I actually do have some skills that bring value. So I don't know what other details you'd like. I'll tell you whatever. But we'll also think about how if you did this on your own first, you wouldn't have had his guidance. You mentioned he showed you how to look at the data points and different things you should be considering, like traffic through there and, you know, what size units built, things like that. So I've had a, a similar experience where I got to do new development working for another investor and I learned so much. And if I would have went and done that on my own by myself, I would have made so many mistakes and we made mistakes even me and the investor on the the new builds that we did i can't imagine if i did it on my own but i think as you go on each development you've learned more and more and you get more lessons out of it and even though you or i don't have ownership over those buildings the we were paid to do it we learned a lot of lessons took a lot of value from it so i i think that's really awesome and i don't want people to get hung up on opportunities that are out there where, yes, you may not have ownership of it, but it is a great, great opportunity still to learn so that when you do have ownership of something, you can be the best that you can be because you have that experience. So that's awesome. And back to working for relationships and skills. So he just bought another property to do the same thing. And this time uh, it should turn into ownership so that you know, it created that opportunity in the future that I didn't know about yet, too. That's a, another great point there, too. My guy is now my private money lender. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. And that, yeah, the network and the develop, just everything that you can get out of working for somebody and getting that experience. For rookie investors, it's something I can't preach enough that if you really do want to get out of your W-2 right away, then find a job where you're going to get that experience, that mentorship, and get paid to do it and to learn. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> I'm going to take us to our rookie request line now. 
Anybody can call in at one 888 rookie and leave a voicemail for Tony and I, and we may play it on our show for a guest to answer. So, Sterling, are you ready for today's question? Absolutely. Hi, uh, my name is Andrew Rosella. I currently live in northern New York with the Army, and I'm going to be getting out this summer and moving back to Ohio. Uh, I'm looking for a value-add duplex when I move in, and I'm thinking to continue to burrow the duplexes as I go. My question is, what's the difference between a refinance on an existing loan and a HELOC, and when would I use those? Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, Well, the first major problem, I'm here in Ohio already. You don't want to come back. It's, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Fishing's way better. <laughs> well, I'm in I'm in New York, so I'm not sure he uh, should stay. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, I love the idea. Like value adds my specialty. The advice I would give to him, I, he mentioned the army. I don't know if you know that should be brought up more or looked into farther because being a part of the military drastically changes some a lot of advantages that you get when getting loans. Like if if you've ever applied for something, they ask, are you a member of the military? I've never got to click that box, but from what I understand, it's it's a good one to be able to check. Yeah, yeah you can get a, a VA loan where it's 0% down. So let's say in this scenario, Andy gets a VA loan to purchase the property, and then he's added a bunch of value and wants to, should he refinance out of that VA to pull out the extra equity or should he get a line of credit on the the property? What would be your recommendation, Sterling? Uh, I would really look into the refinancing personally, because another thing, like I said, I'm not, this isn't my wheelhouse, my specialty, but from my understanding, the VA loans also allow you to refinance every time there's an opportunity to make the loan better. So whether there's, you know, money to be pulled out for a rate to be lower, I mean, you can refinance, I think multiple times in a year even. So there's, you know, his turnaround may be way quicker on the refinance versus a home equity line of credit and more substantially advantaged, especially if he goes that route of using the VA loans. Yeah, I think you do hear this question all like HELOC versus refinance. I feel like it depends on, on the situation, right? Like say that your current interest rate, maybe you locked in like at the very, very bottom and you've got like a sub 3% interest rate, right? Say he's at like 2.5% on a 30-year fixed. If I've got that on a property, I don't know if I would want to refinance it because there's a chance that it could be higher than what I'm paying. So you'd kind of have to weigh the difference of, is the cash that I'm getting out worth the increased interest rate that I'm paying? I think the benefit oftentimes, and actually you can probably speak to this more intelligently than I can, but from what I've seen, like we're trying to get a line of credit, not a, not a home equity line of credit because it's not a, an investment property, but the loan to value ratio on the lines of credits tend to be a little bit lower than what you can do on a cash out refinance. So you can tap into more of the equity if you're doing a cash out refinance versus doing a, a traditional home equity line of credit. Like, have you seen something similar on your side, Ash? Yeah. So if I were to go and refinance my house right now, I could pull out 80% of the equity in it. But if I were to go and get a line of credit, like keep my existing mortgage and go and get a line of credit, I could potentially go up to 95% or 85%. They'll go up higher when you have that mortgage and then the line of credit instead of just doing a a mortgage for the whole refinance for the loan to value. Yeah, so shop around, Andy. Hopefully you'll find kind of which one makes the most sense for your situation. So 
Awesome answer, Sterling. I want to take us into our rookie rock star. So if you want to get shouted out as a rookie rock star on the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, be sure to join the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. We're 30,000 plus people strong or get active in the Bigger Pockets Real Estate forums or pulling people from there as well. Lots of like my life literally changed by being active in the Bigger Pockets forum. So if you guys aren't in there, you're missing out big time. Today's uh, rookie rock star is Lane O'Neill. And Lane's dad uh, got their first property flipped. Took them a little longer than they expected, uh, but they did 95% of the work themselves. They learned a a lot along the way, but they realized the hardest step was the very first step. So they bought this property for $100,000, spent another $32,000 on the rehab, and then they were able to sell that property for $197,500. So a pretty good spread on the very first flip. So Lane, congrats to you. That is awesome, Lane. Uh, Nice work. Sterling. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell everybody where they can reach out to you and find some more information about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out to me on Bigger Pockets. Uh, I try to be as helpful on there as possible. And then I'm not great at social media, but I have a, my own website, just sterlingshrout.com. And same thing. I try to help out wherever I can. Awesome. Thank you. This has been a great episode. Uh, thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and giving our listeners great value and to Tony and I, too. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Make sure you join us on Facebook and check out the biggerpockets.com forums, or you can search Real Estate Rookie on Facebook and join that group too. Thank you guys, and we will see you on Saturday for a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.